Sometimes it's going to be painful. Sometimes you're not going to be able to walk. Are you hearing me? Sometimes when I'm running on that treadmill, I don't feel as good as I normally feel. My leg hurts. Sometimes, sometimes I'm sick. But this is, this is a physical sport. And if you want it, you got to go get it. You got to play hard for it. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Because if you quit right now, you ain't going to never see it. Well, they're doing more than mall walkers. How many know that? <laughs> I mean, they make you feel like you're in high school again. You know, when you're playing football and you're down, you charge off the line, or when you're running around on the track field, there's a sense of pursuing something. There's a sense of there's a prize I want to win. I want to win this race. There's a dream that I'm running after. And I want to suggest to you that's a great metaphor for the Christian life. Uh, that as a Christian, I want to be running after God and His will. I want to be in full pursuit. Now, how many know we can be walking in our spiritual life? Uh, we can be jogging. Uh, and when I'm talking about running after God, I'm not just talking about more activity, but I'm talking about a mindset. I'm talking about that which drives the runner to work and to win. How many know in a very, very real way, you and I are running a race as Christians, and we're running to win. Now, I'm starting a new series this morning. It's called Pursuit. And uh, just as those runners were pursuing, the definition of pursuit, of course, it means to follow, to overtake. Uh, it implies reaching for a prize and accomplishing our dream. And I'm going to suggest to you, every person, whether we're here in a church building on Sunday morning or if you're at home watching TV, every person is going to be pursuing something as a primary objective in 2018. Uh, some will, many will pursue success. Uh, many is a primary goal or pursuing wealth. Uh, pursuing knowledge, all these are good things, uh, pursuing fame, pursuing success. But I'm going to suggest to you that I cannot, uh, I cannot be in primary pursuit of success if I want to be in primary pursuit of God. I cannot be in primary pursuit of whatever it is. Uh, something is competing in my life. And I don't know about you, but as I go into a new year, I want the number one thing that defines my life is to be that I am pursuing God and His will for my life. Now, next week, we're going to talk about our pursuit of God and our personal relationship Him. But this morning, I want to begin with the text in Philippians chapter 3. And I want you to listen to this word kind of as a mindset as we go into 2018. All of us are looking at our life, our schedules, what our kids are going to do. Uh, you know, your kids come home, and not only do they want to play t-ball, but they want to play soccer, and they want to do, you know, they want to do ballet, they want to do twirling. I, there's a million things out there in the world to do. But all of us have to somehow find our schedules, find the rhythm of our life, find what works for us. And what I hope I can do for you in this series of messages in January is to inspire you to let your greatest desire be the pursuit of God in your life and His will. Paul said this, Philippians 3, again, Paul, one of the greatest Christians that have ever lived on the earth, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted churches throughout the Mediterranean world, and the Bible even says he had an out-of-body experience. He was, had a vision of the third heaven where he literally saw God and what the courts of heaven were like. And listen to what that man wrote. 
He said, I don't mean that I am already as God wants me to be. In other words, I've not yet arrived. I've not yet reached the goal. Now think of the runners that we saw. I continue trying to reach it and make it mine. Christ wants me to do this. In other words, Christ wants you and I in 2018 to strive for this goal of being the person God wants us to be, to, to strive for our pursuit of God and the will of God. In verse 13, there's one thing I always do. This is the priority. I forget the past and strain towards what's ahead. I wish I had some spiritual scissors where I could go to many of us, those things that we have done and failed to do in the past, the mistakes we've made, I fully understand what it's like to harbor shame for 20 years over something. I wish I could go in and just clip that link to the past that tends to hold us back, that we could receive God's forgiveness and, and go forwards. But Paul said, I've got to forget yesterday and strain towards what's ahead. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. How I many know that's a free gift? But I'm trying to be the person God wants me to be. What I give back to him as a disciple of Christ is my return for what he's given to me. Verse 14, I press on, think of the runner, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God is calling us. And spiritually mature people, this is the way we think. In other words, we're not just living for the moment. We're not just living for the year, for the degree, for the next few minutes. We're not just living for the marriage, for the bigger house. All these things are a part of life. But we're ultimately living for that day when we stand before God and hear him hopefully say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Well, that's what we're talking about. Now, this morning, I, I want to begin this first message of pursuit about the pursuit of discipleship. It is a mindset of the believer who's a follower of Christ. But, uh, but before I do that, uh, I'd like to do something a little different this morning. Last week, Pastor Nick, who's our worship pastor, uh, he preached. My, my wife gave me a stomach virus for Christmas. And uh, it wasn't wrapped up. She just uh, she kissed me, and I got it, and that's how life goes. But Pastor Nick, uh, uh, a great worship leader, and uh, he was preaching last week, and I was watching at home, and... Uh, he did a good job. He did a very good job. But he played a song before he preached. And I'd like to do that too. Nick, take that. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4. Let's talk about what it means to be a disciple. It's who we are as a Christian. If I were, there's a lot of words in the Bible that describe us. I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. I'm a believer. But let's look at this word and, and, and see what it implies. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, what it means to be a disciple. If you have a good study Bible, I highly encourage everyone to do it. I use the ESV study Bible. My all-time favorite is the Spirit-Filled Life study Bible. Uh, it, it brings these study Bibles, bring, bring you a wealth of knowledge about the history and how the Bible ties together. But if you look at your Bible, you'll see at the beginning of this passage, it summarizes it and it says, the calling of the first disciples. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they were fishermen. And Jesus said these words. He said, come and follow me. 
And it's those words, follow me, that contain the essence of what it means to be a disciple. Disciples are those who believe in Jesus, but they follow him. They don't stop their Christianity with their belief. They look for more than just go to heaven when they die, but they are followers of Christ. And what I want you to see is a follower of Christ, there was a dramatic change coming. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new purpose for your life. I'm going to send you out to fish for people. I'm going to give you a priority that's bigger than yourself. I'm going to give you a dream that's, that's bigger than your dreams. I want you to be a part of this grand kingdom of God. In verse 20, they had to make a decision, just like I do and you do, when the Lord asks us to do something, and they left their nets and they did what? They followed him. This is the picture that I want you to see, and I want you to see it with the idea of a pursuit, that I'm running after God. This following Jesus is what drives my life. I'm not just trying to recruit you for more activity in the church, but what I'm trying to do is to encourage you to recognize God has a plan and a will for your life, and there's nothing more important as you go into this new year than doing the will of God. Now, a disciple by definition is we're saying it's simply a follower. A disciple is a follower of a leader or a teacher. Uh, in the Bible, uh, John the Baptist had disciples. Uh, Moses had disciples. Uh, in our modern vernacular, we don't use the word. Uh, you won't hear it in, in public school this week. You won't hear it on CNN or Fox. Uh, but a disciple implies a relationship with a teacher, with a leader. Uh, we use the word a mentor. Uh, if you have a mentor, a mentor would train you. They would teach you in some skill set of life. But, but the idea of, of a biblical disciple is perhaps a step beyond that. I have a lot of people that mentor me arm's length. Uh, I listen to podcasts. Uh, I'm you know, working in the yard. I've got my earphones on. I'm learning. But they're not really influencing my life. They're adding a little bit to my knowledge base. But a disciple desired to be like the teacher. A disciple imitated the teacher, and that's what we're looking for. We're like the apprentice or trainee. We want to we obey what Jesus taught, but we want to we do what he did. And as the Christian in the most basic sense, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I become a Christian when I'm a believer, but how many know it doesn't stop there? Believers follow. And I would suggest if we're not following, we're not truly believing. Uh, discipleship means prioritizing our life around God's will and His Word. And one of the great tragedies in American Christianity is we have somehow separated believing from following. Uh, the great offer of salvation is totally a free gift. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God for those that would believe in Him. And somehow it stops there in much of American Christianity. We, we seal the deal with God. We want to go to heaven when we die. But kind of between here and there, we kind of do our own thing. My challenge to you is to see that that's an unbiblical idea. When Jesus called people, he wasn't just handing out tickets to heaven. Jesus was looking for followers that would follow him through this life and on to eternity. Now, uh, if we could maybe use these words, we know Christ is Savior and we follow him as Lord. We believe on a Savior, and we follow him as Lord, and that's natural, normal New Testament Christianity. Now, I want you to go to John chapter 6, and, and, and I asked myself the question this week as I was preparing this message, what is it that Jesus said to the early disciples that would speak volumes to us today? And as I began to do my study, I, I ended up with probably three pages of direct words to the disciples. And, and as I paused and looked at the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, I saw that virtually everything Jesus said, he said to the disciples. 
I mean, even in the Sermon on the Mount that we just read in our Bible reading, the great message to Western civilization, Jesus talked to a crowd of people, but in the crowd were disciples. And as I asked the Lord about three main things that he might say to a disciple today that would help us set the course for 2018, these are the things that uh, I believe the Lord spoke to me. And, and I want to look at three things this morning of, of what uh, a disciple 2,000 years ago who followed Jesus on the earth, how we might apply these things and what might be priority for us. And here's the first one, and I, I suggest it's the greatest one, is that if I'm going to be a disciple, I want to follow the example of Jesus and do God's will. Let me say it again. I want my life to be one who does the will of God. And when I talk about doing the will of God, it's not some abstract thing. But I mean, you know, if you're a school teacher, you teach school. But in teaching school, you're doing the will of God, and it's your platform of influence. If you're a professional athlete, you're, 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 the thrust of your life is on the athletic field. But it's more than just the trophy. It's the influence that we bring to other people about Christ. It's praying for a friend in the locker room. It's lifting your finger to heaven when the national TVs are on you. Uh, when you're being asked why, about the Heisman Trophy and who you give the credit to, you're grateful to coaches, you're grateful to your parents and friends, but most importantly, you're grateful to the Lord. See, all of our lives, whether we're a contractor, whatever we do with our life, we have a sphere of influence. And that's where we operate as a disciple. We're literally the eyes of the Lord that see, the ears that hear, the hands of the Lord extended to people. Well, here's what Jesus said about doing God's will. In John 6, 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Another translation says, I came down from heaven to do what God wants me to do. And here's what I want to tell you today. God has something very specific for you and something specific for me. What God's called you to do is not what he's called me to do. He's called me to do something different than you. But together, we are, we are, God's, uh, we are a force in the earth for good. Some of us operate in the political arena. Some of us operate uh, locally in school boards. Some of us operate as coaches on, on ball teams. But all of us have the potential to influence people. And Jesus said the number one priority for me was to do the will of God. It is the mindset of the disciple. When I get out of bed in the morning, and I've tried to practice this for years, and I would encourage you to break it a practice of your life. Somewhere between, after you've hit the snooze alarm as many times as you can, sometimes between there and that cold floor in the shower, why don't you just pause just a moment and say this, Lord, I want your will to be done in today. It's the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. What you're doing is you're positioning yourself. You're like in, in a canoe and you push away from the bank and, and you catch that stream of water and that current's going to carry you. Well, what you want to do is just get yourself out there where the Lord can begin to use you. Because how many know God's not going to twist our arm to use us? He's not going to force us into his service. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, uh, I was raised in the Methodist church. Many of you, how many have Methodist background? Yeah. Uh, do you know that virtually every city you'll ever go to in America, you'll find a, a Methodist church? In many cities, there's numbers of Methodist churches. I bet there's a dozen in the Texarkana area. But there's, the reason that happened is not because Congress made a decree. It's because there was a man named John Wesley, his brother and their partner, George Whitfield. They were involved. Uh, God used them to bring a spiritual awakening to America. But let me tell you what this man wrote every year. He said in a published prayer, it was called a covenant prayer to begin the new year. And listen to what John Wesley said. He said, Lord, make me what you will. 
It was the first thing out of his mouth. He said, Lord, make me what you will. Now, I want to suggest to you, it's kind of like this. Uh, I, I was in my yard and I, I, yesterday, and I was cleaning up all the leaves. They're everywhere. The wind was blowing from the west, and uh, it would come in spurts at times, and I'm just blowing leaves, and all of a sudden, if the wind's blowing this way, and I try to blow this way, guess what's going to happen? Those leaves are going to come up in the air, and they're not going to go anywhere. But yet, if you can imagine, if you were to take that leaf off the ground and the wind is gusting and you throw it up in the air, this is what a hunter does. If you're duck hunting, you, you know, you throw something in the air, see which way the wind's blowing. The ducks are going to light into the wind. But if you can imagine that leaf that you throw up is your life, and every day you get out of bed and you say, Lord, here I am, use me the way you want me to go. And one day it's going to blow from the west, and one day it's going to blow from the east, one day from the south, one day from the north. Some days there's no wind and you're just not quite sure, so you wait on the Lord. But I want to suggest to you being a disciple is a mindset. Because God has different things for us at different stages of our life. John Wesley said, make me what you will. And listen to what he said. I put myself fully in your hands. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and disposal. I do here covenant with you, O Christ. Let this covenant I've made on earth be ratified in heaven. Amen. Now you look at that because, listen, the older you get in life, the more you will realize, I, wanna, I want my life to have made a difference. I want to leave some significance on this earth. I want people, I want generations to be affected because of my life with God. And the starting place is just like that leaf throwing it up in the air. Come on and sing, Lord, let's have your way in me. Give the Lord a, a good hand this morning. Let me give you the second thing. The first thing that Jesus taught about discipleship is to follow his example of doing God's will. And here's one that is profound in terms of the mission for our life. Jesus needs our help to reach lost people. He needs our help to populate heaven. He needs our help to rescue people that are drowning because of the world of sin. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said this to his followers or his disciples. He said, there's many people to harvest, but only a few workers to help harvest them. Pray for the Lord that he will send what? More workers to gather his harvest. So there is one thing in life that matters most, friend. Listen, everybody one day will stand before God on Judgment Day. And every person that you know today, every person you saw at Christmas, every person in your classroom, every person on your ball team, every person that your company will touch this year, they will all spend eternity somewhere. They'll either spend eternity in heaven with Christ or they'll spend a Christless eternity away from God. And you and I are God's rescue team. And here, this passage described it as a harvest. Uh, in the fall, I like to go back and visit my, my dad and my brother and, and farm with them a little bit, kind of touch my roots. And, and, and that time of the year, they're harvesting corn or soybeans. And uh, I, I went back this year, and, and I would see these huge fields. It might be 100, 200, 300 acres. And they're just these soybeans are dry. They're ready to harvest. And that combine pulls up to the field, and they hit a switch that turns on the internal you know, rotors and everything that takes the beans out. They hit another switch, and it turns on the cutter bar, and, and, and it begins to bring the beans inside. And before you know it, we're going down five miles an hour through this field, and it 
it's like beans by the gallons are just pouring into the hopper. And before you know it, you've got 250 bushels. You dump it in the truck. And before you know it, they've got 10,000, 20,000 bushels of beans. Well, the world is like that. There's 7 billion people on this planet that are in need of Christ, whether it's an individual that you may know or it's someone that, for example, that little globe up there. Just this past December, we collected $4,000 just through dollar here, a dollar there. We sent $2,000 worth of Bibles to people we'll never meet in Syria, Muslims. We sent $2,000 worth of Bibles to, to, uh, uh, to the nation of Burma. Uh, uh, to the underground church that's there, uh, and they'll put them in hands of people we'll never meet. And that's just that, that's basically a, a soda or whatever the case may be, but it's a little something that I do. Uh, everywhere I go, I leave one of these little church invitations because if people come here, I know they'll hear the gospel, but it's a plan of salvation on the back. One man took his lunch break of Gideon uh, in, uh, in 1976. It was August 15th, and he gave me a little Gideon New Testament, and uh, he had no knowledge whatsoever, nor did I, that I would be a pastor one day, that I would be involved in a church reaching tens of thousands of people around the world. But it started because someone saw the responsibility to harvest, and how many know that's what we do as disciples? It's not just the preacher's job, but all of us collectively together. The prayers we pray, the money we give, the outreaches that we do, the missions trips we go on. How many know we're reaching people for Christ? And that's the number one job of a disciple. Yeah, let me give you one more thing here that I think Jesus would say to us, and it's this. We can trust him to take care of us if we follow him. Now, I want you to listen to me on this one because all of us as a disciple, we realize that there's a price to pay. And if I do this thing that God's asking me to do, for example, let's say you're a college student and you've got a big, big test coming up on Thursday morning. It's Wednesday night. It's time to cram and you're taking a break and all of a sudden you get a Facebook post from a friend and they're in desperate trouble and you just, again, you started your day that day. You threw the leaf up in the air and you hear the Holy Spirit say, I want you to reach out to them and don't just do it in a post. I want you to go see them. Now, I'm not saying don't study and say study is not important. You might miss an hour of sleep, or you might simply have to say, Lord, I'm doing the best I can because I'm obeying you. See, sometimes people will make, make sacrifices as a Christian, and we fear, we fear sometimes. We fear this. Let, let me read a passage to you, Matthew 6, 25. Jesus, again, talking to his disciples, and he said, I tell you, don't worry about the food you need to live on or the clothes for your body. Now, listen to this. The Message Bible says... There's far more to your life than food. It's like saying there's far more to your life than the number of shoes in your closet. There's far more to life than the number of decoys in your boat. There's far more to life than the square foot of your new home, than the new car you'll buy. None of these things are bad, but it's, it's not a bad or good. It's just there's something that's more important. There's something that should guide us. There's something we should live for that should define every, every decision of our life. Uh, Jesus went on to say this. He said, look at the birds. Your father's going to feed them. You're worth more than them. Uh, you don't have so little faith. The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. And your father knows you need them. Now listen to what Jesus himself said. You seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, and then all your other needs will be met as well. You seek God first, and God can take care of you in ways you could never take care of yourself. Tell you a true story. When I was a boy, probably 24, 
I'd answered the call to ministry. Uh, I, I, was, I was living in an elders, uh, 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 and elders had rented me a room. It was probably as big as six of these little black tiles up here. It had a single bed. It had a desk. It had a lamp and a little small closet, and that was my life. I remember going to Mexico for the first time. We took a drive down to Mexico, and we stayed. And uh, um, the people I lived with, their son-in-law played third base for a professional ball team in L.A. And I stayed in his, I was going to call it a home, but it was a mansion. Uh, it, it was a bedroom that was like a basketball court. And, and I don't mean just in terms of with goals. I mean, it was this huge room. And I looked around at this beautiful furniture, and I looked at what I had, which was basically nothing, and I cried myself to sleep that night because I thought, oh, poor me. If I serve Jesus, I'm never going to have anything. I'm not going to be able to do fun things in life because Jesus. But I was going to do that. But can I tell you, I was absolutely wrong. Can I tell you, God has blessed my life in ways that, that, that not only financial ways, but that it blessed my life in ways that money cannot buy. Can I tell you, friends, if you're willing to make the step to God, I know people, I know people who've gone into sales uh, or, or a job, and their first check, they said, this is my first fruit offering. I'm going to give it all to the Lord. Well, how in the world do you do that? How in the world do you even live after you tithe? There's a faith that's in all of this, and somehow it releases a supernatural element into life. I want to tell you, friend, listen, when we, Linnell and I came to this church, this church, a long time ago, but it was broke. I mean, didn't have any money. And uh, I had a broken down car. It wasn't in very good shape. And I said, hey, is there any way you could work a vehicle in my pay package? And they said, sure. And I got here and I realized they were broke and the checking account was overdrawn. And I said, forget the car. I'm here to serve the Lord. Are you with me today? Well, guess what? God can turn all of those things around. And what I want to tell you, friends, if you take a step to serve the Lord, if you step out in obedience to the Holy Spirit, He's big enough to take care of you. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Now, let me go to what I think is perhaps the, the real heart of the message here. Uh, it's not always easy to follow Jesus, but let me say, it'll always be worth it. Let me read you a story, Luke 18. It's a contrast. There's a religious man, deeply religious, and then there's Peter. And I want you to see how they both responded to Christ a religious leader asked Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I can virtually guarantee you there's nothing more important. If you're here today and if you've got money, if you've got your health, how many know you can live like you don't need God? You see people do it all the time. Uh, but yet I, 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 someone talked to me recently and they said, I need you to pray for me. I, I've got a, a friend, a relative that's going in for brain surgery. Well, how many know brain surgery is not like getting a splinter out of your hand? And you confront the frailty of life. You confront our humanity. Over Christmas, I saw my dad. My dad's 80. And we were kind of riding around in his truck in memory lane. And we went through an old cemetery where my dad's friend was buried. And I, I looked there, and there were graves from the Confederate War. And, and, and you thought about all these people that had lives. But all of a sudden, life stops. And eternity becomes more profound. Well, there couldn't have been a more profound question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus mentioned five of the Ten Commandments, and this man said something incredible, showing us the depth of his belief and commitment. He said, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I cannot say that. But Jesus heard his answer, and he said, there's one thing you haven't done. Listen now. I want you to sell your possessions. Give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and i got to be honest with you. I hope the Lord doesn't ask me to do that. 
And I don't, I don't know that I've ever met anybody in my lifetime where the Lord specifically asked for this. But if he did, would I? See, this is where the defining mark between a disciple, a believer, and a believer loves the Lord and wants to go to heaven, but a disciple sometimes must take a step that's hard, difficult, uncomfortable. Hey, when we were young and we came here 20-something years ago, like I said, and found out the church was broke, it would have been very easy to say, I don't believe the Lord is calling me. <laughs> the Lord is calling me somewhere where I can have a car. Are you with me today? But sometimes it's not as we want it to be. Follow me. But the man heard this. Now think about it. The question was eternal life. But he went away sad because he had some new turkey decoys. He went away sad because his riches had his heart. Well, Jesus saw this and he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in no way is, is money evil or bad, but it's the love of it. And in this particular case, something in his life had become an idol more important than God. Something was more important. Jesus reiterated this thought in Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must do what? Deny. Yeah, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The cross was an instrument of death. The cross is a picture of God's will that is perhaps difficult. But this is what the Lord is looking for at the deepest level of our life. He's looking for us to get out of bed in the morning and take that leaf and throw it up in the air and say, Lord, have your way in me. Listen, I know, I, I, I know people that are here today in the construction business. They said, the Lord told me to build a house for somebody, and he didn't even really know them. Knew them at a far, but didn't even know them. Cost him money, cost him time, cost him energy. People said, what are you doing that for? It doesn't make sense. You know what he told me? He said, the Lord told me to do it. Well, that's a guy that builds stuff for a living that just takes a leaf, throws it up in the air and saying, here I am. Can I tell you, God smiles at that. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you're going to find it. What do you mean, lose your life for me? My wife, uh, uh, I married a missionary. I married somebody just constantly doing this to the Lord, ready to get, go somewhere. And uh, she said, oh, a number of months ago, she said, I believe like the Lord wants me to go to Thailand. Will you pray with me? And I do pray, but I say, honey, what do you feel like the Lord's saying? She said, I believe I'm supposed to go. And I take that as the Lord because the wind is blowing. And I asked her the other day, how long are you going? How long? Two, two weeks. And my first thought was, I don't have enough underwear for two weeks. <laughs> Now, you understand what I'm saying. I'm a big boy. I can take care of myself. But life just works better when mom's in the house. So she didn't have to go, and I could have thrown a fit. And you can say no when the leaf is blowing. But if you say no to it and you stay home and do whatever you wanted to do, guess what? When it's over, it's over, and it's all gone. But when you lose your life for Christ's sake, you're going to find it. Verse 26, what good will it be if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And listen to this. This is a good part, verse 27. The Son of Man's going to come in His Father's glory, and He's going to reward each person according to what they've done. I want to tell you this, friend. Any, any act of service, any prayer you prayed, any time you share your faith, any time you give money or material things to help people, God is watching. He's writing it down. And one day He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now back to our story. The rich ruler, a very religious guy, but he said, no, I don't want to be a follower. He said, I like believing in God, but I don't want to follow. 
Verse 28, Peter said, we left our homes to follow you. Peter said, Jesus, and then Jesus said this amazing statement. I assure you that everyone who has given up house, wife, brothers, parents, I've done that. When I was called into the ministry, listen, I, I, I was raised in Mississippi. My dad was a farmer. I loved the life. I'd like to live there. And that's where I wanted to be. But I felt the Holy Spirit when I threw my leaf up in the air say, no, I want you to go back to California and be trained. And then ultimately, I want you to come to Texarkana. It was a sacrifice. But can I tell you this, friend? I still love my parents. I'll be with them for all eternity. But there's no place I'd rather be in life than right here in church, uh, Texarkana. There's no other church I'd rather be pastoring than Church on the Rock because I'm in the will of God. See, and this we, we face sometimes. But Jesus said this, if you have made some sacrifice for me, notice what the Bible says in verse 30, you'll be repaid many times over in this life. And you'll have eternal life in the world to come. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good deal. And I don't know about you, but I'm choosing to live my life in 2018 every morning getting up, putting the leaf up in the air, saying, Lord, what it is you want me to do, because I want you to have your way. Come on, give him a good hand this morning. Let me close with this. You know, as a church, this is more than just an hour experience on the weekend. The central thrust of what we do in our gathering together, our coming together, is to hopefully help you become a stronger disciple, grow deeper in your relationship with God, and that you too begin to be a discipler of other people as a follower of Christ. Our church's mission, literally, is Jesus told us to make disciples. We do it by connecting people to God, friends, ministry, and the world. But there's some very practical things that you can do as you start this new year. See, here's what I know is happening in the new year. Right now, Best Buy and other retailers are filling up your inbox with the electronics you need. Come on. Everybody's in on it now. Once they got your email, Walmart and everybody's going to be talking to you about it. Amazon and Wayfair and all along the line, they're calling for you. you uh, people are calling for your kids. They want them on every athletic endeavor, every fun thing to do. Your gym is calling for you. Your work is calling for you. Somewhere in all this, hear the call of God and find a fresh commitment to be a disciple and follower of the Lord. Here's how we can help you. We'll encourage you to read your Bible every day. We'll encourage you to grow to these spiritual growth classes on Wednesday night, which, by the way, this Wednesday, my wife, uh, Linnell, is going to be preaching. She said the Lord gave her a word. Uh, be a part of a small group. They'll start again in February because I need people to share life with. I am better together. I am, I, I'm better with other people. Listen, for many of you, you need to sign up to lead a group. God's graced you and anointed you to open your home. We share our faith. You know, we'll always encourage you reaching out to people for Christ, uh, coming to church on the weekends. I've been, I, I've been in Christian ministry 35 years, and this is a no-lie kind of statement. My experience is the people that are vitally connected in a local church tend to be stronger and more effective long-term in their Christian life because they're a part of a community of believers to help them when they get down a little bit, to keep them focused, being around the Word of God. Now listen, I, I, I watched, last week I watched uh, the church service on live stream, but it is not the same when you're laying in bed. Come on now. It is not the same going to church when you get up and go get another bowl of cereal. It is not the same <laughs> as when you're in church worshiping the Lord. Uh, going on a short-term missions trip. We, we, have, we had a young man from our church going to Costa Rica this morning. Next Friday, we've got a group of ladies, uh, two ladies and a man actually, and they're going to India. My wife's got a group going to Thailand. I, 
uh, just a couple weeks here. Missions trips going on all the time. Getting involved in local outreaches. I did a lot over Christmas that impacted me, but the most impactful thing I did was I just showed up at a, at a sidewalk Sunday school that they did for about 50 uh, kids in one of the housing par- uh, complexes, and it deeply touched my heart. Uh, practice your stewardship. Get your kids involved. Again, these are, we are not just advertising activities like the newspaper will advertise things. We're offering you things that can help you make a better and stronger disciple in the coming year, and I hope you get on board. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. I'm, I, 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 I'm done today. I, I want to close with a hopeful decision on your part. What kind of spiritual life will I lead? Will I lead as I go into 2018? A- am I satisfied with where I was in 17, or is maybe the Holy Spirit stirring me? And again, in today's message, I'm not just trying to encourage you or recruit you towards activities. I'm trying to challenge you with the mindset that I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be like that leaf, and I don't want to spend all I have, all my time, energy, and money on myself. I want my life to matter for God. I'll read you again as we think about the runners of Philippians 3. Paul the Apostle said this, the great Apostle, I don't mean that I'm already as God wants me to be. I've not yet reached that goal. But I continue trying to reach it. I make it mine. Christ wants me to do that. Yes, there's one thing I always do. I forget the past, and I strain towards what's ahead. I keep trying to reach the goal and to get the prize for which God has called me through Christ to the life above. And as a spiritually mature person, this is the way we think. Could we just stand just a moment? As you stand to your feet, I just want you to just close your eyes a moment and just envision yourself as that leaf asking for the wind of God to blow. I've done my part this morning. I believe I've delivered to you the word of the Lord. I believe the Lord is the Holy Spirit is saying that He wants us to make our relationship with God and our pursuit of the will of God the great priority of our life. And now only you can say yes. Welcome Holy Spirit today. Would you just come and fill us afresh, Lord? This decision starts with a choice on our part. But we need the Holy Spirit to help us activate and energize. We need the Holy Spirit to give us courage and strength. We need the Holy Spirit to speak clearly so we can hear what the Lord's saying. Welcome today, Lord. In just a minute, I'm going to invite you as a Christian to... Renew your commitment to the Lord, to wherever He may be speaking to you about today. But I first would like to just have a a general prayer for all of us today. I want everybody to just bow your head just a moment. And I've been very decidedly speaking to people that are certain they're Christians. And let me say this with your eyes closed just a moment. You're not born a Christian. You may be born into a Christian home, but you're not born a Christian. You're born again as a Christian. There's a spiritual rebirth. Being Jesus said you had to be born again. And being a Christian is more than a New Year's resolution. It's more than I'm just going to try hard. 
Becoming a Christian is like getting on a train that stops at the train station or getting on an airplane in an airport. It's a very deliberate act to receive Christ as your Savior. But I wonder if you're here today and you're at a spiritual crossroads in your life. Perhaps you're here today and during this church service you saw the cross on my right. It's an empty cross signifying the fact that Jesus Christ died on that cross for your sins and mine. He paid a penalty and a price for our sins because he loves us. It was our sins that separate us from God and Jesus Christ made a way so we could be restored to God. Jesus not only died and was buried, but he rose from the grave on the third day. And Jesus is alive today. And Jesus is offering all of us the free gift of salvation. And just as a man told me in August 15, 1976, Jesus Christ can change your life. If you will acknowledge your sin to him, you will admit your sin and ask for his forgiveness. If you will receive him as your Savior, He'll change your life. And friend, I'm here to tell you that it's true. And maybe you feel right now that I'm talking to you. Maybe this is your day of decision to get on the plane with Christ, to receive his offer of salvation. You know something's missing in your spiritual life, and you know it's God. If that's you today, and you'd say, Pastor, I want to commit my life to Christ. I need God's forgiveness, and I want to receive him as my Savior. Nobody looking around, but if that's you, would you just raise your hand, just real high. Raise your hand real quickly and wave it at me. I want to pray for you this morning. They pray for me, Pastor. Yeah, I see your hand. God bless you, friend. And God bless you. And God bless you too, others. God bless you too. Yeah, anyone else? Just raise your hand. Yeah, I see you too, dear. God bless you. Somebody else say, pray for me. I, I, I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to commit my life to Christ. Give them one more big hand. Yeah, I see your hand, dear. Here's how we're going to close this service. In just a second, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come to the front. They'll pray with you about anything. Maybe in your life you've got something really big holding you back from following Christ as a disciple. That would be a great thing to pray for. But we'll pray about anything. But I also want to ask you as we sing this last song, for you that raised your hand, let me just commend you. It is the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life to receive Christ as your Savior. But it's not a private decision. It becomes a public decision. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. The Christian life is not lived in secret. It's lived as a light on a hill for all the world to see. And if you're here this morning and you'd like to make a public declaration of your faith, I'm going to encourage you when people come for prayer here, for you to slip out of your chair and come to the cross and let someone pray with you. Uh, let someone answer any questions you have. Let someone give you some information to help you live the Christian life as you make this great declaration to the Lord. So our prayer team is coming to the front right now. We're going to sing this one last song. And I encourage every Christian that's here, renew your vows of commitment to Christ. If you need prayer, you come. But most importantly, if you lifted your hand to receive Christ, we'll see you at the cross. I love you. Let's sing this last song together.